Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae has put millions back into the hands of Mississippi citizens, expanding the state's affordable college and career savings program and also returning record amounts of unclaimed money. Check out how Treasurer David McRae's office can help you, your business, or your organization. Treasury.ms.gov. What's up on a Wednesday? I, Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. Appreciate you joining us for this August. I, I keep saying August every time I have a default one. October 9th edition of the Rebel Report podcast. Uh, feels like fall outside pack show to get to. I've got Peter Ball on from The Athletic. He covers Mizzou for The Athletic. We got into the game. We got into some Kelly Bryant stuff, how they're going to do without Kale Garrett at linebacker. Ole Miss and Missouri are similar teams in the sense that they've kind of both lost the quarterback to their defense for the year in Momo Sanogo and Kale Garrett. Uh, Garrett's a fantastic player, a large reason why Missouri's run defense is so stout. Got into that some. Got into uh, some dueling NCAA investigation talk and, you know, some other stuff. It was a, I thought it was a pretty interesting interview. He does a good job. Athletic, definitely well worth your time and money. What's up? Not much. It's, uh, is Ole Miss close to having someone cover them for the for the athletic? It feels like every other SEC team has one. You know, I've never talked with anyone from the athletic specifically about that. And, like, I don't mean me. I'm just, I just meant, like, the, the idea. Because the athletic's business model is fascinating to me. So sometimes, like, whenever I see Salmon or Antonio or whatever, I'll just kind of – kind of pick their brains about like how business is going in the model and stuff because i find it fascinating and you know if sports journalism is going to succeed in the modern age that needs to work and i think it is i think it's close to it i think they're getting close to a million subscribers and like and you're paying four dollars to basically cut through all the bullshit for the lack of a better phrase you know what i mean like yeah i mean i wouldn't mind like they, their big thing is no ads i wouldn't mind no ad like a couple like ads if it meant they kind of got some increased revenue but it's just straight good writing they don't really focus on like the day-to-day stuff they take time and write, tell good stories anyway i say all of that to say i i find it interesting to kind of pick like their brains every now and again about the model and i remember talking to them i remember talking to salmon at a restaurant at sec media days about how they never fully got into the A&M market because the A&M subscription sites there are already so huge, like Texags and whatever the rival site is there. And yeah. so instead of doing that, they partnered with the Texag site. And I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but I say that to say, like, it seems like the subscriber sites in this state are so big. I mean, 247 at state essentially has a monopoly because there is no rival site or no functioning rival site there. And then, of course, you've got Rebel Grove and, two, and the Spirit here. So I just wonder if there's actually a market for them to be here, coupled with the fact that Ole Miss and State are not exactly huge college football markets on the grand scheme of things. Now, they're probably certainly big enough to warn it because, I mean, hell, South Carolina and Missouri football has one. But I guess you kind of get what I'm saying with regards to, like, the subscriber site being so huge. Is it really worth their time? I don't know. I've never talked to anyone from there about Ole Miss specifically and whether they would ever be interested in doing it. That was just kind of the hunch I got. That makes sense. I, I mean, the subscription sites here do really, really well. And, and I'm not sure that's exactly the case at other SEC schools. Yeah, like, I don't know what South Carolina's big subscription site is. I know Arkansas has one or two, but Arkansas is still kind of a big newspaper deal, so the athletic seems to work there. That makes sense. So, I don't know. If they ever want to call me and, like, you know, get let me write one of those why I joined the athletic things, uh, have at it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I find those funny. It's like, They all write those why I joined the athletic things, and I've just really appreciated one day if somebody was like, uh, 
because the paycheck kicks ass. That's the end of my column. Because <laughs> they give me a lot of money. Yeah, uh, but anyway, I don't know. It, he's a, Peter's a good guy. Uh, really good interview. Got a lot of shit to get into today. I um, we went. To, we had media availability last night after practice. Practice was interesting yesterday because normally, particularly with the last two weeks, with the quarterback deal, like I, I want to say this is a hundred percent by design, but I don't know it for a fact, so I'm not going to say that. But like for the last couple, like really since the season started, we've been getting some stretching, some special teams work where Jeff Koontz yells into a microphone um, and blows a whistle into a microphone. I don't know if he knows that. Like since you have a whistle. And you have a microphone, you don't need to yell or blow the whistle. So, very loud on the ears. But other than that, we don't see a whole lot. But yesterday, we saw them do, like, seven-on-seven pass stuff. We saw them run some offensive stuff against the scout team. I don't know if they're, like – I mean, I doubt they're (laughs) sending in any sort of message. But, like, maybe they just think they need to, like, not waste any time. I don't know. I just found it interesting. So, my observations were that John Rice Plumley got most of the first team reps. Like he would go first, and Matt Corral went after him. Some I would say Plumley probably got more by my unofficial estimation. You know, they keep uh, keep being adamant and saying they're going to play two quarterbacks. Um, we'll see kind of how that goes and how that's intertwined. I still think they need to. I just don't think, particularly with the way Missouri's run defense is, that you can just roll Plumley out there. I don't think he's shown enough in the passing game. It's obvious even from those seven-on-seven drills. Plumlee's not a complete, like, it's not like Plumlee's going in there and running the wildcat type of thing. But it's it's just clear Corral throws a better football and is more advanced as a passer. As much as that bothers some people because they get upset with Corral's inaccuracy, it's still true. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, look, if Ole Miss is going to throw the football down the field and win this game, I, I think Matt Corral has to be your guy. Uh, Plumlee just hasn't shown the ability to do that, and that's not to say he, ha- he can't he can't do it. It's just through four or eight quarters of football, it's not been shown. So um, I think Matt Corral plays this weekend if healthy. I'm not sure who starts, but I would be I would be surprised if he's healthy if he doesn't get snapped this weekend. Yeah, and then I keep trying to look at this at the, like the long term macro picture, and I don't think this is good. Like, I, how does this ever work long term? Because Corral came here to be the guy. Not to be on the even if I don't even I I hesitate to say he's going to be on the field half the time I don't know what this is going to look like, but point being he came here to be quarterback on first second and third down, so it just I mean it may work for this season like I I don't know it may not work it may blow up in their face I don't know, but like eventually it feels like something has to give here in terms of the long term and the reason the main reason I say that is because both these guys are eighteen nineteen years old so like a lot of eligibility left. Oh, absolutely. Uh, they've, they've got a heck of a line they've got to dance around this quarterback thing because I'm sure they don't want to lose three quarterbacks uh, to attrition this, this spring. So um, I don't know how they manage it going forward. I think they probably already put themselves in position to lose at least one. Um, but but they're, in a, they're in a heck of a pickle that if they're trying to keep quarterbacks for next year. Well, yeah, and then do you go through the same cycle again eventually because you've got Robbie Ashford coming next year. And it's interesting – You've got a quarterback now that's prolific as a runner, and you've got a kid that's more polished as a thrower. Like, seems like Robbie Ashford, if he can run and throw, that might be the ticket. And I get, I don't, I, I'm not going to pretend to watch Robbie Ashford's highlight tapes and be like, uh, you know, this is this is this guy's it. Because I had a had a recruiting guy once tell me, is like, what the hell is a highlight tape? Why do I watch that? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, why am I going to watch the collection of the best plays the kids puts together? I don't watch highlight tapes. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. That's fair. So um, I, I do think that kid can play, though. 
No, I'm not saying he can't. I'm just not ready to be like, yeah, if th- this kid's going to be able to run in throw and he's the ticket. I'm just saying, like, it would seem like you've got one side with one quarterback and then you've got another side with another quarterback. If Astrid comes in here and can run and throw pretty good, that seems like a pretty good match. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Um, but you need, certainly, you would need other quarterbacks on the roster. And I, I think Ole Miss has really put themselves in position to lose one, maybe two, going into next, next spring. And oh, I, don't I don't think, think there's that- any question about that. Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily the right way to go about things either. Well, in fairness to them, in some ways, like what else are you gonna do? Like you've I got would play three. Grant some. So you're gonna play three of them? Well, I mean, I would have played in the past two games. Okay, that no, that's certainly fair. I I, I would I, I I don't hate that at all. I just think the Vanderbilt thing is a little bit like I'm not gonna say they got screwed by kicking the crap out of Vanderbilt. But they were playing a team knowing that they didn't have to pass. And so, like, you probably didn't go into it with a normal game plan. I mean, without directly saying it, Rich Rodriguez said that after. He was like, look, like, why were we going to pass if we ran for 413 yards? And, what, you know, and once you got the back-to-back home runs from the, uh, from the two backs in the third quarter, like, you were going to run the football anyway to kind of melt the clock away. So, well, I, you, you've got a valid point. But, like, playing Vanderbilt through a wrench and all of it, uh, like we both said, I would have played Tisdale more against Alabama for sure. But then at the same time, even if you're playing Tisdale some, you're playing Corral some, and you're playing Plumlee some, like that's not like neither like that's not going to stick long term anyway. So you're probably losing one or two anyway. Yeah. Um. um I don't know. It, it's a tough situation for them to manage uh, to if they're trying to keep kids on this roster at that position. Okay, but what happens if they win a couple games down the stretch? Say they beat a Missouri or an A and M, and then they obviously beat New Mexico State, and then like win the win the Egg Bowl, and they get to six and six, and the program has all sorts of momentum. Again, I'm well documented saying I still think that's a bit of a long path, though. I think a signature win is closer than maybe some think for this team. Like they seem there's something seems to be brewing, but I say all that to say. Like what happens if that all that happens and then someone swoops Rich Rod up for a head coaching job and then you bring in a totally different guy in a totally different system? Like how what like how does that work? Yeah, I mean that's a I don't want to say it's a tough look, but it's certainly a different dynamic. Um, we'll see. You know, I I think Matt's proven he's good at, at hiring football coaches. So uh, you know, I, I think he'll hire somebody that fits the system and is able to get done what he needs to get done if that were to present itself. I heard something yesterday, and I don't know if you've heard this or not. Ole Miss has put itself in a position with its APR score where if there's not enough teams uh, to go at 6-6, six and six, they would be one of the first candidates at 5-7 and seven to go to a bowl game. Hell yeah, I'd love to cover a 5-7 and seven bowl team at the Trop. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe you get, get, get to go to the Hawaii Bowl. Okay, that would be pretty sweet. Although, I don't know, they'd probably send me, like, Biggest, like, first bowl game since the Sugar Bowl, kind of some momentum. But, okay, if that's the case, and I don't know anything about that. I, I, I don't, I'm not pretend. I'm not an APR guru, or I don't pretend to know how that works. Well, I kind of looked at it yesterday. Ole Miss finished 38, but the teams in front of them are either going to go well beyond 6-6 six and six or not get close to 5-7. and seven. Okay, so what happens if, like, half the defensive line flunks a test? Does that drop? Like, how does that work? What do, what do you mean? What do you say? Like what do you like? Well, how does like how does that go up or down? 
Well, I mean, you get better grades. That's how it works. That's what you I'm saying. Yet. Like, what happens if, uh, the, like, defensive line, say they're in class together, they flub a test in November. Test bank wasn't oh, that, what they thought a, it was. That's for next year. That'd be for okay. 2020. <laughs> okay. I was halfway joking, but I really didn't <laughs> completely know how that worked. Anyway, okay, so even if, just to say that's the case, and, like, I, I haven't heard anything about that. I'm not disputing what you're saying. I just don't know anything about it. Is it viewed the same like, is it viewed the same as, like, the getting to that 6-6 six and six mark? Like, is the momentum no. the same? Probably not. No, but you need the – I mean, you're not going to turn down 15 practices for the freshmen either. No, yeah, I think they'd go. I just – I'm just – I'm ta- I'm viewing it from a fan base perception lens because, again, with everything that goes on at this school, for better or for worse, it's always fascinating to me to get the, like, week-to-week temperature of, like, what fans are thinking because they've been so angry and apathetic the last, like – Hell, I don't know. Three years. It's always like that side of it's fascinating to me because I've I've never seen a head coach be inserted into a situation where he does these program a huge solid in a really really kind of awful period of the program's history, and then once he gets the permanent job, is kind of fighting to like validate himself amongst the fan base from day one. So like that's why this side of it's fascinating to me. I don't know. I think they could do some momentum stuff if, like, they lose to Missouri and A&M and beat New Mexico State and then win in Starkville. You can maybe sell that people are excited then. But uh, any other scenario at 5-7, and seven, I'm not exactly sure how excited the fan base would be. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yesterday, from uh, kind of some notes at practice, Elijah Moore was not at practice. Neither was Braylon Sanders. Sanders has missed the last couple weeks again with that same – uh, hamstring issue that's kind of really just he's not been able to get over. Um, I don't really know. Come, Go ahead. Does it come a point where you start redshirting him? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm sure that's something. I Actually, I don't know if that's something they look at right this second, but let's say you get a week or two deeper in the season because, like, say you get to A&M and he's still not ready and you're thinking, well, after this, there's only four games left in the season. Yeah. So... Like what may maybe then I would say probably not right. I would say you're close to getting to that point, but maybe not quite yet. I don't I don't really know. Um, Elijah Moore's got a groin issue going on. I doesn't sound like he's going to be an issue to play Saturday, but he was not at practice yesterday, and they were doing a lot of stuff with J- Dennis and Jaden Jackson. But and I'm writing about this later today. That's really kind of the undersold part of why Ole Miss... I mean, Rich Rod is a run-heavy system, kind of regardless. But they ran the ball 70% of the time against Vanderbilt. They're at 68% going into the Alabama game. I like part of the, like part A good portion of the reason Ole Miss has kind of struggled in the passing game is, one, not just because Plumlee's a little bit limited as a thrower, but like their receivers have really not kind of... Like, the receivers have kind of struggled to get separation. A lot of them haven't caught on. Like, Miles Battle has really not made an impact at all. Sanders has been hurt. Mingo's a true freshman that kind of looks like he's figuring some stuff out. But, again, he's a true freshman. And then their best and most experienced receiver is a 5'10", 5'11", slot guy. And I don't say that to, like, knock the kid, but, like, it, like that's difficult when you don't have that guy out on the perimeter that can kind of go, go up and make some plays. And... Like Peeler was all over them in a couple portions of practice yesterday about like kind of winning some more one-on-one matchups, and that's what the entire staff has preached a lot the last week or so. So it's like I think people are like I, I would say people somewhat are underselling that because it's like you talked about in the offseason about replacing AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, and Demarcus Lodge. Like guess what? They're still not here. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and they haven't really been replaced, uh, maybe except with Elijah Moore. So they're they're still building depth there. They're still building, uh, you know, continuity there. There's a lot of things that you know. You look at the quarterbacks. You talk about how they haven't, you know, particularly played well in the passing game. I think the receivers take take some of the blame in that too. I don't think it's just a one way street. No, it's definitely not a one-way street. Like, you saw it some against Memphis in particular is Memphis got everything, every, like, view of that was so skewed because they just simply couldn't block the guys in front of them. But, like, the receivers didn't really struggle, like, they didn't really, I said, struggled to create separation, I should say, and just were really having a hard time getting open. And so, yeah, it's definitely not a one-way street on that. And Ole Miss is going to need that, particularly this week, because Missouri is a really good run defense, as you'll hear from Peter in a second. We got into that some. We got into how they're going to kind of react without Kale Garrett. He seemed pretty confident that Missouri is going to be able to move the football on Ole Miss kind of at will. I was a little hesitant on that in the sense that, like, yeah, there's a, I guess there's a decent chance that Kelly Bryant kind of tears Ole Miss up through the air, but I think Ole Miss will hang okay through the run game. If they can get a pass rush on Bryant... You know, he's got that whatever what he strained MCL, I think is what it was. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe that was I, I can't remember. Him and Trask had the same injuries at Florida, or similar looking ones. But he's gonna play. But does that limit his mobility at all? Because like, and we got into this some too. It's like when he transferred from Clemson to Missouri, it was like a earth shattering deal. But there's also a reason he got beat out at Clemson. Like Lawrence is good, but he was somewhat limited as a passer. But he's fairly mobile, and so is that mobility limited some. And if it is, how much does that limit what they do as an offense? I don't really know. I haven't watched a ton of Missouri, but that's something interesting. But I think Ole Miss, like, like the way I see this playing out is if Ole Miss does kind of let the game get away from the second half, it's because the offense isn't able to move the football and the defense just can't continue to get enough stops because they're on the field. I don't know, 30, 35 minutes of the game at game time, or 35, 40 minutes of the game time. But I think Ole Miss will be able to get some stops against Missouri, and I think they'll fare okay. But the offense is going to have to move the ball through the air, and that puts a lot of pressure on the receivers and the quarterbacks this week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've, they've got to be able to move the football uh, through the passing game. Otherwise, they're not going to win. They're not going to be able to do what they did against Vanderbilt, I promise. They're not um, going to be able to do that against anyone else not not named New Mexico State. Maybe yeah. State a little bit, but not still not to that degree. No. I'm inter- Here's what I'm interested in is if Kelly Bryant's mobility is eliminated, not eliminated, but limited, uh, how much does that affect his ability to throw the football or run that read option? Um, I'm interested in that because if he's limited mobility-wise, I think that that's a really big deal for Ole Miss. Yeah, definitely is. I was actually – I mean, I said this to Peter that you, you're here in a second, but I was like, if I need any confirmation that I'm not a doctor – and don't need to be a doctor other than my made-up doctorate degree that we made up on the radio. I uh, I saw the tra- I was watching the Florida game before I went to the stadium to cover last week's game, and I saw the Trask injury, and I was like, "Oh God, that looks horrible!" Like he's done. And then he gets up and walks off the field, tapes that shit up, and gets back in there within like two quarters. And then I got sent a video of the Kelly Bryant thing, and I was like, "That looks awful." And now he's a full participant in practice this week and playing. <laughs> I think what the lesson is, uh, these people are a lot tougher than we are. Well, that and with, like, knee stuff you don't know, because there's times, like, have you ever seen an ACL injury where you're like, I don't even really know what happened? And yeah, they, like it, Chad Kelly? Yeah, just kind of, ta- yeah, exactly. So, like, I don't know. The knee, like, how badly the knee bends and how much it makes you cringe doesn't necessarily equate to number of weeks out. Maybe that's a theory I could get in a science book. 
There, there you go. You could write your thesis on that. Did yeah. you have to write a thesis in grad school? No, we, our program did not. I think the journalism students got to, but I was technically IMC, so I was under the journalism umbrella. But no, no we didn't have a no thesis. thesis. We barely had tests. But anyway. <laughs> anyway. You, you, you got your diploma yet? No, I don't. I have to go by there Jesus again today. Christ. So I, I've told this story on the podcast before, right? So what happened was is – I waited a little bit, like, too far last minute to turn in my application for my diploma. And the week it was due, I think I was traveling at Missouri, like, at Louisville for baseball. Or maybe it was Columbia for hoops. I don't remember. For the NCAA tournament. But long story short, I got back and I'd missed the deadline. So I went up there and handed them the diploma. And they, oh, like, no worries, but your diploma won't go out till August. And I was like, yeah, that's no problem. And I go there in the middle of September... And I went in the office, and I was like, hey, I still have my diploma. And they're like, it says the degree wasn't rewarded. And I was like, what? And <laughs> then they're like, the lady was like, oh, never mind. They should go out here the next week. Still didn't get it. Went by last week. And the lady who's in charge of checking on those things was out sick. So the other lady was like, yeah, if you hadn't got it in a week, come back. So I'm actually going to go by today. So Operation Find My Diploma is in full effect. So, so we'll have an update on Friday. Yeah, you should. I mean, I say an update. It may just still not be here. I don't know. I'd like that piece of paper just in case someone ever calls me on being a doctor. Your mom's probably like starting to wonder, did you actually go to class? Yeah, I haven't told my mom that. I think as far as she knows, that thing is hanging up in my office. Wait, you have an office? Jesus, you are an adult. No, I don't really have an office. I was just making that up to sound cool, but like you get the po- you get the point. So, oh, um, God. Anyway, we were so uh, one thing last week we were supposed to have. I'm kind of bouncing around here. I was supposed to get my first first big bear hug with Mike Bianco last week on Friday, but then you know things happened on campus. I guess I'll put it that way. <laughs> so we haven't. I think we're going to get to talk to Mike on Thursday of this week. So maybe we'll have some. Wait, pa- hold on. Did, there was there a media session for Mike and nobody showed up on Friday? No, no, no. It got so it got it. <laughs> Well, it was going to be that way, and uh, and then it got canceled. Oh, thank God. Yeah, no, and so we told Alex. He was like, yeah, we'll just move it. But then I was like, I was just kind of busting Alex's balls at the game. Alex Sims, the baseball SID, for those of you listening. I saw him at the game, and I was like, was Mike disappointed to get to see us? And he basically said something to the effect of, no, I told him it was canceled, and he said, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> he might not have gone anyways. Yes. <laughs> I don't know, but we might have some fall baseball stuff at the end of this week. Um, Aaron Fitt wrote uh, a uh, fall baseball recap if you're into that type of thing. Sure, go to subscribe to D1 Baseball. Uh, definitely worth your dime. They do good work. They're the uh, really only national site that covers college baseball anymore now that kind of perfect game has turned into more of a scout thing. And I know Baseball America does some, and I think Ted Cahill does a good job. But, like, like – that, both of those seem more prospect and draft oriented than D one is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, D one certainly cornered the market from that standpoint. Yeah. So let's go ahead and get to this interview with Peter Ball, and then we'll kind of wrap it up after that. So, Peter, good guy. Go subscribe to the Athletics. It's like a cup of coffee a month, and you get really, really good sports writing. It's definitely worth your time. It's one of those things. It's like, like I, I get it from people all the time. It's like, why would I pay for that or whatever? And it's like, I just don't want to. And then once you actually get into it and you start like reading the quality of it, they're like, oh, this is definitely worth it. So anyway, without further ado, here is our interview with Peter Ball from The Athletic. 
All right, we now welcome on Peter Baugh. He was nice enough to join us for a few minutes this morning, if you're listening, recording this on Wednesday evening, but... Peter covers Mizzou for The Athletic. Uh, if you don't know who The Athletic is at this point, I don't have much for you, particularly if you listen to this podcast, but Peter covers them. Subscribe to The Athletic. It is definitely well worth your dollar. Um, I have a lot of great friends that work there now. It is a, it is a hell of a product and worth worth every penny. What's up, man? How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. Just, just chilling here. We're in practice today and uh, getting, getting prepped for, for the game for, uh, Saturday. I hear you. So this is an interesting Ole Miss is Ole Miss isn't a very good football team for the most part, but they haven't been a boring one by any stretch of the word. So from a coverage standpoint, that's been that's been rather fascinating and, and definitely definitely good for the last couple of teams I would describe them as boring. Missouri is an interesting team to me because when we were on our radio show we do a hundred teams in a hundred days to, you know, your typical filler summer content. And when we got to Missouri, we got through their schedule and we were sitting there legitimately thinking they could get to the month of November at, what, I don't know, 7-1, and 8-0, and oh, somewhere in there. And I guess that's still on the table, the latter part of that. But they stumbled in the opener. What have your just kind of general impressions starting off of what the first half of the season has been like? Yeah, I mean, the the opening game was Mizzou did not play very well at all. And obviously uh, that showed in the final score. Uh, but since then, they've been pretty lights out. Um it's a really, it's a fascinating team, and I think that you look at the schedule and how easy it is. I would argue that Mizzou should be seven and one going into Georgia. I think Mizzou has the, the talent and uh, to beat Ole Miss, uh, Vanderbilt, and uh, Kentucky. None of which I think are particularly strong teams. Um, so if it takes care of business, I think it'll be seven and one going into Athens, which would be a, a pretty fun matchup. Kelly Bryant was one of the more high-profile quarterback transfers, not named Justin Fields. The offseason gets in. I think maybe some that viewed the program from kind of a 10,000-foot view saw it as maybe a bit of it. I don't know if odd marriage is the right word, but in terms of his potential landing spots, I'm not sure Missouri was on the radar until they were, if that makes any sense at all. what did, I guess if you can kind of take me back to when that news broke, what was the kind of like? What did that kind of do to reinvigorate what is an interesting football fan base, in my opinion? Yeah, it definitely it definitely did a, a lot for the program. So uh, the Kelly Bryant side was really interesting from a Missouri perspective because, like you said, it didn't necessarily seem like a likely marriage. Uh, but then when you kind of look at it, it makes a lot of sense. He wasn't going to have any competition for the starting quarterback job. Uh, he saw what the offensive coordinator, Derek Dooley, did with Drew Locke the year before, and he wants a chance to show that he can play in a pro-style offense, which Missouri runs. So he kind of had all those things going for him at Missouri. Missouri had good weapons coming back on the offensive side of the ball, um, and it was an opportunity to play in arguably like the best conference in top football. So it was kind of just for what he wanted in talking to a lot of people, and both him and his family and close friends and stuff, he wanted a chance to start and show that uh, he's capable of playing at the next level, which uh, we'll see if he is, but I think Missouri gave him a as good of an opportunity as any school to come in, start right away, run an offense that could showcase his skills, um, and give him high-level competition on a pretty good football team. You mentioned what Dooley did with Locke, and I thought that was maybe one of the more unsung parts of Missouri's team the last couple of years, particularly last season, because I remember when when Dooley got hired, it was kind of a bit of a head-scratcher, right? Kind of given his, not overall career trajectory to that point, but just kind of what he had been doing in, in let's say, the last seven to eight years of what 
what he had kind of been as a coach. And I always appreciate it because to me that's always a sign of coaches being comfortable in their own skin when they make hires that maybe don't necessarily make sense or a little outside the cookie-cutter model you know, to the outside world, I guess. How, have, how What is the dynamic between him and Odom like? And, you know, what is, I guess, from, from fan base media, whatever's perspective, what is their kind of evaluation of the job he's done since he's been there? Yeah, I think it was it was kind of one of those things. Like you said, it was a bit of a head-scratcher when he when he got hired. Uh, but clearly, it's, it's worked out well. This is, this is actually his first time ever, like, calling plays offensively. He's never been the primary play caller on offense. Um, or well, last year was his first first season doing that. Um, I think for the most part, people have been pretty impressed with him. He's um, there were some growing pains in his first year. There was the Missouri Kentucky game in 2018. Not sure how many people down in Mississippi were watching it, but it was a really ugly game that Missouri really should have won. And there was a very controversial pass interference call at the end that Missouri would have won if it hadn't been called. Um, but and that was you could kind of point to that as the reason Missouri lost that game. But really, the reason they lost that they lost that game was because it didn't have a first down in, in the second half. Um, so that was a really ugly showing. But since then, Mizzou um, has just been offensively has been really really solid. I think they've put up thirty points in every game since then. Some of that, some of those points have come on defensive scores too. But I think Missouri scored over thirty points in every game since that Kentucky game, which is definitely a testament to Dooley. Um, as for his relationship with Odom, Odom has been Odom has really raved about his staff this year in ways I maybe hadn't seen in the past. He really seems to value how they work together, um, and some of that maybe it's coach speak, but I think you also can see it in the continuity between um, last year's staff and this year's staff. There weren't many assistants that left, um, and assistants are frequently on the move. So I think Julie's pretty comfortable in Missouri. Um, I'm not sure what his long-term like goals are as a coach but i think it's a place that he can have some success it's a fairly low pressure environment compared to tennessee is one of the last sec school is at um and he's got some some talent around him to work with and he can kind of he can do some good things with offense which he's shown so far you mentioned that Kentucky game. I remember that very well. For whatever reason, I believe I was watching it. Fifteen, you know, not every day you say fifteen, fourteen, but then they kicked the shit out of Florida in the swamp the next week, which kind of in hindsight looks like maybe a bit of a launching point for Dewey and kind of that offense as a whole. And that's it. That's that's interesting because it's it's. It's, I guess, kind of a random time for that to happen. What the what they rattle off five in a row, four in a row to close the year, and then you transition to this year. It from for for people that don't follow Missouri every day, who kind of played the biggest role in going and getting Bryant? Was it a Dooley thing? Was it a team effort? Who was in your mind kind of instrumental in going and getting him? Uh, it was a team effort, but Dooley was definitely one of the the big draws. He was uh, in talking from people, they were really really impressed when they went to campus. Um, one, he came to campus and just he really loved the campus, like the the. Um, Fraternity houses had a bunch of banners for, like, uh, Kelly Bryant to Mizzou and all this stuff, and he just kind of really felt a lot of love when he visited campus, which was, if you think about it from his perspective, that was a hard time for him. I mean, he's getting, his name was kind of getting dragged through the mud on, like, talk shows in South Carolina, so I think it was refreshing for him to feel a lot of affection. Um, And while that's all nice, and I think it definitely played somewhat of a role, I think really it it ultimately did not matter. Um, 
compared to his relationship with Dooley. And they met while they were there. They talked over. Dooley kind of told him exactly how he was going to be able to implement Brian in the offense, what he wanted to do, how he wanted to give Brian a chance to throw the ball. And it was all exactly what Brian um, wanted. And so I think Dooley is, if you're going to try and point out, it was definitely a group effort. Like, I think Brian also had to be on board with Odom's vision for the program. But I think if you're trying to pinpoint one person, uh, that really that really sealed the deal. I think it was it was Dooley. So they get into the year, and between the, the, the schedule and Kelly Bryant coming in, I imagine expectations, you know, relatively speaking, were fairly high. And then whatever happens at Wyoming happens, and I guess that's kind of my a roundabout way of getting to my question. Uh, how, what exactly happened there? Because I, as for someone that didn't catch much of the game, at least it seemed like they had a couple of really bad turnovers in some crucial spots. And then it's almost been as impressive to me to get them to kind of turn around and play the brand of football they played since having just kind of a bizarre loss like that. But I guess the first part, what kind of happened that night? Yeah, it was a strange game. So Mizzou was up 14 nothing after the first quarter, and it kind of looked like, all right, they're going to roll roll to this win. We'll see how West Virginia is next weekend. But then they just kind of like the second quarter happened, and it was it, it all got away from them. So I think there are a few different things that happened. I think one, the tackling wasn't where it needed to be that game. You can look at a few key plays where there are some missed tackles that resulted in these large chunks of, of yardage um, for Wyoming. I also think it's – I don't think Wyoming's a great football team by any means, but, like, since then I think they're – they might be 4-1, 5-1 or something. They're like a – so they're, it wasn't a – it wasn't a loss to a, a terrible, terrible program. It was certainly a program Mizzou should have won, and it's a, a bad loss, and it looks – reflect poorly on Missouri that game. But I think it's a mix of Mizzou kind of not really knowing how to continue the momentum they had when they were up 14 uh, nothing, having a few really ugly turnovers. There was one where Bryant got hit really hard, dropped the ball, and the Ole Miss guy, um, not the Ole Miss guy, the Wyoming guy ran it into the end zone <laughs> for a touchdown. And then there was um, a play at the end of the first half that Mizzou would have gone into the locker room tied if, if they got the ball in from the one, but Larry Roundtree fumbled, and Wyoming brought it all the way down into field goal range and kicked the field goal as the half expected. So you're looking at a halftime tie instead of a 10 point, instead of being down 10. And I would guess if Mizzou had gone into that half tie, they would have won the game. So there were a few plays that just really, really messed them up that game. And uh, but yeah, they really they have rebounded. I I'm not necessarily sold on any of the teams. They've played thus far. I mean, obviously, I don't think West Virginia is a terrible team, but I certainly I think they, they'll struggle to get to the six-win mark. Um, you've got South Carolina, who I actually think is okay, but their schedule is just brutal. So they, they're going to struggle to get to the six-win mark. Troy is a fine group of five team. Um, and then Southeast Missouri FCS is pretty bad. So, like, it's kind of a funny... It's been a good turnaround, and I'm curious to see how they'll look against better competition. But I'm also not convinced they're going to get that much better competition until they play Georgia uh, in Athens. So uh, looking at the defensive side, this is an interesting matchup to me because Missouri is definitely more talented than Ole Miss is, I think, across the board at this point. Ole Miss is a really young football team. I mean, I think every touchdown that Ole Miss has scored for the last two weeks sands, I think, one has been by a kid that's 18 years old. And wow. so it's it's it, they're an interesting Ole Miss is an interesting team to me because 
their schedule was so backloaded that they basically had a three-part litmus test in the month of September with Memphis, Arkansas, and Cal. And for a reasonable path to a bowl game, you figured they had to win two of those three, and they failed the two toughest parts. But at the same time, it is an improving football team. Like You can tell they're kind of finding their stride offensively. Their run defense has been good. they got all kinds of issues in the secondary. But aside from that, you can sense they're getting a little bit better. And so this, from an Ole Miss perspective, feels like an opportunity for Matt Luke and his staff and kind of his tenure to kind of get a signature win to get them, I don't know if on par is the right cliche, but back towards a realistic bowl path. Like it's going to take picking off a Texas A&M or a Missouri. And I guess the most interesting part of this is I kind of buried the lead from an Ole Miss side of it is the quarterback situation where Matt Corral's missed the last two weeks with bruised ribs. John Rice Plumley has come in and really just added an interesting dimension to the offense. He's one of the faster quarterbacks I've seen with my own eyes, and that's not saying a whole lot because Ole Miss generally just kind of has pocket passers per se. They haven't had a lot of dual threat guys aside from Chad Kelly. What is what is Missouri kind of thinking as far as what they're going to see from a quarterback perspective? Because it's been all Plumlee the last two weeks, but they claim Corral's going to be healthy and I'm just not sure they can afford to only play Plumlee because they're so lim- one-dimensional that I-, I think you have to play Corral some to give a little bit of a passing threat. How is Missouri kind of handling that? Well, it's interesting. I don't know how much you've followed the, I guess, news from Missouri this week. But um, so against against uh, Troy, Kelly Bryant went down with a knee injury. Right. And it, it looked really scary. It looked like he, it might have been bad. It's looking like that's going to be okay. But Mizzou's middle linebacker, who Kelly Bryant's the most important player on the team because he's the quarterback and he's pretty good. Um, but if you want to look at the best player, it's probably Caleb Garrett, the middle linebacker. And he had a pectoral tendon injury and had surgery today and is probably going to miss the whole year. Um, so you're talking about one of the best defensive players in the SEC who's just now not, he's not on the field. Um, so Mizzou kind of has uh, a challenge at replacing him a middle linebacker against a team that can run the ball really well in Ole Miss. So I think that's, that's the matchup I'm most interested in, is especially with a mobile quarterback like Plumlee um, and a good running attack, how are they able to contain that? Are they able to contain that? Um, how does Cameron Wilkins, who's the sophomore, is going to start in place with Garrett? How does he look? Um, I think that's, that's what's going to be really interesting. I think you kind of have to prepare for both, both quarterbacks with um, – uh, Corral can pass a little more, and Plumlee who's obviously more mobile. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what they're ready for and how how they respond. Um, the secondary has been really, really solid this year. The Zoo's had one of the best pass defenses nationally. Um, and at this point, I mean, I was going to say some of that is because they haven't faced that many quarterbacks. But if you look at Holinsky at South Carolina, he can throw it a little bit. And Troy had a really a quarterback who had big numbers in Missouri's pretty much shut both of them down. Um, so I think the secondary is going to be ready. I think I'm very curious to see how the linebackers do without Kel Garrett there. If the defense, one of the things Garrett was so good at was making sure guys on the field were in, in the right positions, in the right spots. Uh, so with him out, it'll be really curious to see how, um, if guys are in the right spot. If, they, if these guys can fill in with the signal calling and can, I guess, show – can get guys in the spots that they need to be. And if they can, I think Missouri has a really good chance of, of winning. Yeah, that's a really interesting point you brought up because that was it's a good transition because that was kind of my next question with Garrett out. 
Like, do you think, because Missouri, from what the the couple games I've watched, has a really interesting defensive line. They move around a lot. They they confuse a lot of opposing offensive lines pre-snap, it seems like, with some of the motion concepts they do. And for an Ole Miss offensive line that, granted, is improving, but hasn't played a ton of football together, and frankly, until the last couple weeks, hasn't been very good, like, do you think that puts more pressure at all on the defensive line with Garrett out just until you can kind of get things settled, kind of whether it linebacker or just kind of the front seven in general? Because you saw a similar thing with Ole Miss. They lost Muhammad Sanogo in the very first series of the Arkansas game, who is, I mean, I'm not comparing players here, but kind of the same role. He was a good player for the last two years on a very bad defense, became the quarterback of the defense, responsible for getting the calls and checks. And it probably took a week or two to adjust, but I would give Ole Miss credit in the sense they did a decent job of mitigating his effects. Like, where is the, What is kind of the trickle-down effect of Garrett being out as far as it goes to a really, really salty run defense? Yeah, I think it's. I think Coach Ryan Walters, the defensive coordinator, he he put it well today, where he's like, "We're not going to replace Tail Garrett. It's everyone else is going to kind of have to step up a little bit." Um, so at weak side linebacker, they have a sophomore named Nick Bolton, who has had a really, really uh, kind of a breakout year, which has been um, kind of fun to watch. He's had he's really moved around well and done done a good job. Um, and then you've got this Cameron Wilkins kid, who no one really he hasn't played all that all that much. Clearly the He's played on special teams. He played 11 games as a true freshman, mostly on special teams last year. I believe it was 11. It might have been 10. Um, but he's clearly a guy that they're they're confident in and they think highly of. But it's probably not someone that they wanted taking on the most one of the most important positions on defense right away. So we'll see. I think it's kind of got to be like for Missouri to replace Garrett, it's got to be uh, Wilkins has to kind of I guess take up like 85% of the productivity he would bring, and then everyone else kind of has to step up a little bit. So getting to your defense, the defensive line question, I think the defensive tackles have been have been really good. Kobe Whiteside is this I, – I recommend watching him closely on um, on Saturday because he's really fun to watch because he's this – he's only about six feet tall, and he's, he's really small, but he's very good. <laughs> it's, it's shocking. He does not look like he would be good at football. Um, but he, he bursts up the middle, and he's currently tied for the SEC lead in sacks. Um, and Jordan Elliott have been really good up the middle. Um, on the end, you've got that's where Missouri's kind of struggled a little bit. Um, so I think that's kind of the next the next question is if they can get some edge pressure, and if they can, I think that's one of the areas that maybe if they can do that a little bit better, if the defensive tackles remain good, if Bolton steps up a little bit, if the secondary remains strong, and if Wilkins fills in all right, then I think they'll be fine. Yeah, I think that this is where this is ultimately won and lost from an Ole Miss perspective in the sense that if they're going to give themselves a chance to go in there and, and have a shot to win late in the game, they're going to, one, have to be better on the back end of their defense and in, in, in at least limiting Kelly Bryant some in the passing game, and two, they're going to have to find a way to throw the ball, and you have a guy in Corral who hasn't played in three weeks. I am honestly fascinated to see how they intertwine that and and not become one-dimensional. One Because they, they ran for 413 yards against Vanderbilt. Yeah. But it was one of those things where they knew they didn't have to throw the ball. And so, like, the current version of what they did Saturday is not going to work against the defense with the pulse, and particularly not one like Missouri. So that one's kind of fascinating to me. I, I, lastly, as we kind of hit the, the home stretch here, on the other side of things, in your mind, it, through, you know, I guess Missouri, what, Missouri's at five games, so they've had their bye. Ole Miss is halfway through the season Kelly Bryant, impressions of him as the arm talent kind of lived up to what you had heard, thought, 
Like, what what have your impressions been of him through five games? And where is kind of Missouri generating offense in life after Drew Locke? You know, I think he's been pretty good. I think he was – I was maybe – I was interested because when he committed, I think Missouri fans were very, very excited, and rightfully so. But I think maybe there was a bit of an expectation that he was going to be like this Heisman-level player, uh, when in reality he's just a very solid player, you know? Um so I think he's honestly been a little better than, than I thought. I thought he looked he, he was looking great against Troy before he went down. Um, I'm curious to see if this knee injury, um, if it limits his mobility at all. You mentioned Plumley being one of the fastest quarterbacks you've ever seen. Bryant can move. He is watching him in person as he is he's shifty, he can avoid tackles and he's really fast when he gets some open space. Um, so I'm curious to see if that's affected at all by this knee injury, I'm curious to see. I still, I think he's going to play. He said he's going to play. The coach said he's going to play. But as you said with Corral, uh, Ole Miss has said he's going to play the past few weeks, and he hasn't. So I would imagine he'll be ready to go. Um, but I'm curious if there's any chance that he's not. So we'll see. I think he's been really solid so far. I think there have been some lulls offensively at points, but I think overall he's been he's been effective. I think that um, Mizzou pretty much has gotten what they've needed out of him. He's been um, a good game manager. He hasn't been phased by any moments. Obviously, he had a few. Uh, he's had a few turnovers that haven't been great, but he's been pretty darn good. It, it was interesting watching last week. If I needed any other confirmation that I don't need to be a doctor and am not a doctor, I saw the video of the hit, and I'm like, that looked really, really bad. And yeah. it was kind of the same deal with Kyle, with Kyle Trask at Florida where you saw it initially and you're like, that doesn't look great. And then, you know, he comes back in the game and, and Bryant seems fine. So, yeah, that would be interesting to see if at all it limits his mobility. Kind of jumping back to one last macro question. You had the, the news in the offseason as well with Tudor Gator, whatever you want to call it. with And, that like, it's interesting to me because I covered a team in 2017 that had a postseason ban. I covered a team in 2016 that thought they might get one and knew one was coming. Then you had the coaching change and all that. I say all that to say, I, like, Ole Miss had one of the strangest half-decade-long NCAA investigations I think there's ever been in terms of the twists and turns and just the general bizarreness of it. And I say all that to say, for people listening to this podcast, you don't have to explain just how dumb and kind of inefficient the NCAA is. What is how has the team kind of handled that? Because it was always fascinating to me trying to get players' mindsets on a given week with that looming. Like, what is kind of the current status of that, and how have they treated that? Yeah, it's all still kind of up in the air. I mean, the athletic department has been very outwardly confident that they think they're going to win the appeal and get the bowl ban overturned. I honestly, people have asked me what I think is going to happen, and I just say I have no clue. I think the NCAA is impossible to predict. <laughs> it is. Um, so I think the players, they've said all the right things with, like, um, the fact is they know that they have at least 12 games or before the season they said that, and they're going to, like, do what they can with them. I'm, I'd be curious if there's a, a letdown effect if the bowl ban is upheld and they find out, say, like, on a Thursday before a game. How does that affect? Will they come out really fiery and angry and kind of on a, we're going to, like, show them uh, mindset? Or are they going to be just kind of, like, dejected of, like, oh, we have nothing to play for? And while I say that, I think there is still a lot to play for, even if there is a postseason ban, because I think Mizzou has a chance to theoretically go, I don't know, best-case scenario, maybe 10-2. and two. I think that's going to be hard, because that would mean beating both Georgia and Florida. But I think they've got a very realistic path to 9-3, and three, which Missouri doesn't have 9-3 and three seasons all that often. So 
you have a chance to have a really nice year still. And all these guys want to play in the NFL, so like they have to kind of showcase their in that regard. So there's still plenty to play for in my mind. But I'm curious um, how it'll, whether it'll make them kind of dejected and just like, well, we have nothing to play for when it comes down, or if it'll fire them up and say, oh, we need to show that like we're a really good football team and we can still show that. Um, and then I'll be interested to see the same thing on how it affects how it affects them if the bull ban is overturned. It'll be it'll be fascinating. I think. They've kind of said all the right things so far, but we'll see how their actions play out when we when we find out. Yeah, that was so bizarre to me trying to figure out and cover the end, particularly the end of that old Miss investigation, because it was like you had this half a decade long deal. Then there's an appeals process, and they set a window for when one a ruling could come, and then two like the appeals process, and like they gave an eight to ten week window, and then announced it fourteen weeks after the window. So, like, it was just incredibly bizarre, and just like you said, it's impossible to figure out and predict. But yeah, like you said, I always kind of find trying to figure out kind of a team's mindset in a given week entering, and if it is announced during the year, how that changes. Um, that's really about all I had for you, man. I really appreciate you joining us. This was uh, this was great stuff. Um, I guess lastly, if you have, how do you see this shaking out? Uh, I think Missouri wins. I think I think that Missouri's offense, especially if Kelly Bryant indeed plays, is going to be able to move the ball pretty easily against Ole Miss. Um, I think the defense will be able to contain them, even if there's some growing pains without uh, Kale Garrett in there. Um, so I would say probably maybe a 35-21, 35-24 game, somewhere in that range. I kind of tend to agree with you as well, because like the way Ole Miss stays in this game is if they move the ball through the air better than they really have shown, I would say, almost all season, southeastern Louisiana notwithstanding. Because I think the defense, is as much issues as Ole Miss has had in the back end, they've been fairly good against the run, and I, I think they could hang in there. I'm just not sure if the Ole Miss offense stalls, particularly not being able to run the ball, which I don't think they're going to run it with any kind of semblance of success that they had last week. Obviously, you got 400 yards. I'm just not sure if the Ole Miss defense is going to be able to hold up long enough so I'm kind of in that same boat I was thinking 28 20 range somewhere around there but Peter I really appreciate your time um you can read him at obviously athletic athletic app athletic website on Twitter he is at Peter underscore ball um I really appreciate your time man this is great stuff and I look forward to seeing you Saturday sounds great looking forward to seeing you and that was Peter Ball I appreciate him taking the time to join us um, a lot of good stuff in there. I thought the Kelly Bryant stuff was interesting. Um, I thought about so as he was talking about Missouri's schedule and how they haven't really played like anyone and really like because I, I was like they played pretty good football after the Wyoming game and I was like I'd give them credit for that for kind of rebounding from a loss like that and kind of kicking the crap out of everyone they're supposed to kick the crap out of. But like, are we sure Missouri's any good in the sense that they haven't played anyone? They played what? South Carolina, Troy, West Virginia, and there's one more that I'm missing. Is it Kentucky? Uh, they played West Virginia, Troy, Wyoming. I don't know. I think uh, they played some scrub school too, like at Southeast Missouri. Yeah, that's. I think that's. I think it's actually that's what it is. Is Semo? So like, this is the best team they have played. No, I mean I, I, uh, I said South Carolina. I don't know. I mean, the, yeah, I think Ole Miss is better than South Carolina, but I mean, yeah, whatever you want to do there. So, like, 
What is the what? Oh, excuse me. What is the line on this game? Eleven. Last I looked. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Once it was eight and a half, and then Kelly Bryant got cleared, and it moved to eleven. As of this morning, I'm trying to pull it up. It is now going to twelve. That seems... I will say though, all the money is on Ole Miss. So, if you want to take some solace in that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm not. I'm not overly surprised by that by any means, but that does seem a little high. Yeah, I feel like it's a little high, yeah. yeah. That's interesting to me. So, um, like I, you could have sold me on 8, 9, maybe even 10, but I don't know. So, I mean, Vegas knows. So, yeah. But, like, I, I, I guess that kind of proves my point a little bit further is, like, how do you exactly know what Missouri is? Because there was a world... Because I wouldn't qualify Ole Miss as a good football team. I'd say they're a bad team that's kind of improving. And that's not completely fair. I'd say they're a very young team that has learned some pretty tough lessons and are improving. Because there is some offensive talent and the defense has played okay. But my point being, there was like, like, it was kind of always known, and Peter got into it there a little bit. It's like you didn't really know what Missouri was going to be as far as how good they were anyway until they played Georgia in November. Like, that's such an odd schedule dynamic. Yeah. I mean, imagine that place if they had lost to Wyoming. I mean, they're 5-0, probably going to move to 6-0 this weekend. I mean, it's, that's getting real in Columbia. You're going to go into Georgia undefeated. Yeah. Yeah. Which we I talked about. Be- I think they're better than Florida, and they get them in Columbia. That'll be an interesting game because that's one of those games where Mullen will scheme the hell out of it. Like, they'll have a coaching advantage there. But is that enough? Talking about Florida. I don't know. If, if, if you can get Missouri to like 8-1 or 9-0, I feel like you're a pretty good football coach. Yeah, no, no, I agree. But, dude, let's be real also here. Wyoming, West Virginia, SEMO, South Carolina, Troy, Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, sure, Kentucky. Sure, sure, So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, and they lost to Wyoming. So, yeah, I, I, like you ask somebody that watched that game, and they're like, I didn't understand it. Like, like, nobody should give an explanation of how it happened. Yeah, so Peter tried. You know, they had a couple really crucial turnovers late. It was a weird game. Wyoming ran a fumble back deep. Like, they just had a couple really bad turnovers, and their defense was awful because Wyoming rushed like 200-plus yards, and then no one has done anything against the run against them after that. But, again, how much stock do you put into that? Because it's West Virginia, SEMO, Troy, and South Carolina. Yeah, no, I mean, it's. I think you're going to find out something about them this weekend. If they if they pummel Ole Miss, then yeah, it's a pretty good football team. Um, if Ole Miss goes to Columbia and win, obviously you kind of reverse course on that. Yeah, I know. Like the more and more I think about it, I do think Ole Miss has a good shot at kind of earning a quote unquote signature win here. If they play well, I think they'll give themselves a chance to win the game in the fourth quarter. Agreed. I, I expect Ole Miss to have a chance in the fourth quarter. Um. I had one other point after that about the Missouri schedule thing. Maybe it looks like, you remember A&M last year? They were in it in the fourth quarter and it kind of got away at the end. I think it's a possibility it looks like that. Yeah, I mean, Ole Miss, I think, was winning the game in the third quarter, were they not? Yeah, yeah, because uh, they picked up the uh, fumble at the goal line and ran it back. Yeah, uh, Ken, no, no, uh, it was Zedrick. Lu- Zed Woods. Zed Woods, yeah. yeah. So, okay, what about, this is the... Is this the cakest SEC schedule of all time? And I don't mean this is a knock at Missouri. It's not their fault. It's not their fault that Holgerson left West Virginia 
and everything else kind of went to crap. But Wyoming, Troy, West Virginia, SEMO, South Carolina. I think I said Troy, but Troy after that. Ole Miss, Vandy, Kentucky, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, Arkansas. So their West opponents are the two probably worst West teams. I mean, yeah, that, that plays. I mean, I, I think technically it has to legitimately be the weakest SEC schedule of all time when that's the case. I mean, if they hadn't lost to Wyoming, they're going to breathe and maybe go 10-2. and two. Yeah, and possibly 11-1 if you beat Florida and Columbia. Man, they missed now, that's See, this is a missed opportunity because... Well, is it? Because I don't even know if they're bowl bands. Like, are they still under... I don't think they can go to a bowl. No, and we got into that with Peter, as you heard, or I—I I, I got into that with Peter, as you heard. No, they can't. I, uh, I, but like I, that's kind of what I, that was part of what I'm saying is missed opportunity. I'm not really just talking about beating, I'm uh, beating Wyoming. You lose to Wyoming, yeah, but you get Kelly Bryant as a transfer to go down this schedule, and then you get a bowl bid, and then lose your season opener. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a, I bet people were not happy with Barry Odom after uh, the Wyoming debacle. Yeah, and so we got in. That's another thing I want. There was a couple more topics I wanted to rehash from this interview that I had with him. You had one, the bowl ban deal, where there seemed a little bit more cut and dry than Ole Miss's. Obviously, I think we all believe that this is a re- kind of a ridiculously harsh penalty for Tudorgate. Um, <laughs> but, like... He was saying, I was asking him just what he thought about it. He's like, it's impossible to predict the NCAA. People in the athletic department, from what I'm hearing, are confident that they're going to win the appeal. And I was like, buddy, let me tell you. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> like, I, I'm not disputing that he's hearing that from people in the athletic department. I totally believe that. But, man, they might have another thing coming. Because whatever yeah, decision you... Might, might tack on even more. I honestly should have said that to him last night. I mean, I mean he, I'm sure he probably knows. He was just reporting what people have been telling him. But like, I, like, I, and honestly, I'm like, tell those people in the athletic department whatever rational decision you think is the rational decision they should go. It's 100 percent going to be the opposite. <laughs> I like that the NCAA on Ole Miss's case gave them like an unsensible punishment with the official visit thing, and then they're like, you know what? No, we're going to take that away. It's like, well, you couldn't enforce that anyway. So thanks. Yeah, and and then we had. Some people around here are trying to sell that as a huge win. And I was like, yeah, well, maybe, but like... I mean, it's a win because I don't know how in the hell they didn't enforce it. But even if it's stuck, you weren't going to be able to enforce it. I guess you just don't... You're on the risk of getting caught and being in really deep crap. But... Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. That's interesting, though, because from having covered a team in 2017 that couldn't go to a bowl game, I was just kind of like, what is this team's mindset? And he's like, look... Shocker, tell me if you've heard this before. He said they're very focused on knowing that they have 12 games together and 12 opportunities to play together. I'm like, yeah. Are they having having 12 bowl games? I don't know. I've heard that a time or two. But, yeah, I was like, yeah, which sucks for the kids and all of that, too. Because, like, this is a good team. They've got a schedule that sets up favorably for them. Like, that really does kind of suck. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I hate it when kids get punished for, you know, people that weren't there, that aren't there now uh, as mistakes. Yeah, the bowl ban is dumb. Hammer the stupid adults involved that let it happen if you really want to. Because, one, I don't, like, yeah, whatever. I'm not condoning academic dishonesty and all that. But, like, I just have trouble, like, giving credence to any sort of punishment or anything the NCAA figures out. But, like, particularly don't punish the kids for that. Because, like, Kelly Bryant, like, was, Kelly Bryant was playing for Clemson when this happened. And now he transfers <laughs> and that happens. Like, that sucks. 
Yeah, and some of your kids were in high school, so that's just, yeah. I mean, the NCAA is corrupt, but that's another story for another day. Yeah, so another thing we got into was, uh, I found this fascinating. Derek Dooley, when he was hired as the offensive coordinator there, people were like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah, they weren't happy. And what he did with Drew Locke, particularly the last five-ish games of last season, we went back and I was kind of asking if there's a turning point and he mentioned that really ugly, sloppy 15-14 to 14 game at Kentucky last year. And then, you remember, inexplicably, they went the next day and just, like, the next week and kicked the shit out of Florida in the swamp. Like, yeah, in the swamp. Destroyed them and then won the last four or five games of the season, whatever. I think they lost their bowl game. Yeah. But, um, like, for a hire that, see, I always think when coaches make out-of-the-box hires, and I'm not necessarily calling Dewey out-of-the-box, it just didn't seem to make a lot of sense. I think that shows they're comfortable in their own skin, and it's worked tremendously because he did what he did with Drew Locke, and then he goes and was instrumental in going to get a grad transfer like Kelly Bryant, and by all accounts, like, as far as Bryant's numbers, it's worked. And then he said Dewey's really, like, this is where Dewey's calling plays really for the first time in his career as the primary play caller, which I found fascinating. Like, people love to crap on things in the moment, but, like, no one ever goes back and is like, hey, actually, that hire kind of made sense. He's done a good job. Yeah, yeah. He was he was pretty bad before they uh, went to Florida last year. I mean, people couldn't stand him up there. But since then, I mean, they kind of lit the scoreboard on fire uh, outside of maybe their bowl game against Oklahoma State. But... Um, other than that, they they played extremely well on the offensive side of the football, and, and he's got a he's got a lot going on that side of the football. It's almost like it takes time. Like in a world where people are so impatient, like you remember pre social media and all that. And I'm not saying social media is the reason for that. This particularly, but coaches used to get a guaranteed four years to turn a program around. Yeah, guaranteed. Yeah. I don't know if that's social media or if there's so much money involved now that you can't wait that long. Yeah, no, I'm not pinning on that social media. I think social media has made us more impatient as a society, but I think the money part is probably more of it too. It's like, hey, we're paying you five million dollars a year. Like, I mean, in the, in, look, different situation. I know context is required, but look at Joe Moorhead. He wins eight games his first year. And there are people that want him out now. And I'm not saying that's completely unwarranted, but it, we just live in a different world than we did 10 years ago with regards to patience. Because look, you buy, at, any, you buy anything to that uh, Rutgers rumor? Again, I mean, I don't really have to preface this. I don't cover state, so 100% speculation. But to me, in my very unprofessional opinion, a very limited viewing state, I've watched like one and a half state games this year just because of timing and other things. Yeah, me too. I... He doesn't seem comfortable there. He doesn't seem he comfortable doesn't. in his own skin. And I pointed that out to Richard as early as like kind of the end of last year, just from the way he kind of handles media stuff to the injury stuff to everything else. He doesn't, and I don't, I don't mean this as like a slight on Joe Moorhead. He just doesn't seem comfortable in his own skin there. So if this year doesn't turn out the way they want, like that it doesn't turn out well, I don't think they'd fire him after year two, but I think there's maybe a world where he gets a Rutgers or a job like it and just kind of is like, I, right, this, this ain't for me. I think that's possible. Yeah. I don't know anything about the Rutgers situation or the rumor or any of that. I, I, I'm not going to pretend to. But, like, just putting dots together and purely speculating, it makes more sense than it might on the surface. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Rutgers is going to give him as much time as he probably needs. Um, and State fans, whether you whether it's wrong or right, are not extremely happy with Moorhead right now. And, by God, let him lose in Knoxville this weekend. 
which, I mean, State's a six-point favorite. I feel like that could happen. I wouldn't bet on it, but I think it could happen. Um, let him lose to Knoxville this weekend, and it's not going to be a pretty sight. Yeah, Borky kind of went scorched earth on the whole idea of of Missouri. Like, everyone says they're getting better, blah, blah. I, no, excuse me, Tennessee, after that game, everyone sold it as, wow, they're improving, blah, blah, blah. They got blown out by Georgia. And I tend to agree with them most of the time because like, it seems like the media wants Tennessee to be good so bad. But I don't think they're as bad as they were when they took the field against Georgia State. Like, no, they're not. And no. I don't. This feels like a last stand. You lose this, they're probably quitting, right? But I don't feel like they're probably quitting yet. No, I mean they they're playing the freshman quarterback. They've done that thing, so maybe that gives you some new energy. They played okay against Georgia. I'm not gonna say they played great, um, but I mean that I think they're in the ball game with State on Saturday, especially now. Here's what I'm interested in: Does State play the kids? That are, that are suspended on Saturday, that's what's going to be interesting to me. Uh, yeah, no, they are. They are playing? Yes. Okay. Hey, Dad addressed that on the radio show yesterday. They are. All those kids, think- every one of those kids except for Autry is playing Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas, and, State, and Ole Miss. So why is Autry not playing? Okay, this is a weird one. Autry got a oh, – State had some injuries on the defensive line. So Autry, like, so State had to tell them what game, or, I I don't, I'm actually not going to go in, in, so, basically, Autry played against Louisiana Lafayette because he got some sort of waiver because State had some injuries on the defensive line as, like, a, Haydad cited it as, like, a player safety thing. I don't really know, but he played against U, or Southern, excuse me, not ULL, so he spent one of his games early. That sucks for them, but so he probably will play against Ole Miss and just not Tennessee. Yes, hey, Dad knew some stuff that wasn't on the record that we didn't share on the radio show, so I wanted to be careful there before I said anything I wasn't supposed to. But right. th- that's kind of how it's going to go. Is okay. is like their their understanding is that they will probably play them in Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky, and uh, Ole Miss. Okay. So, so well, they played against. Uh, yeah, they didn't. They played it. Auburn, did they? No, no, they didn't. No, they didn't. My bad. My bad. Yeah, I don't think they did. So, anyway, I had an interesting... So, you talk about... We got off on a tangent here, but the last thing I had on the impatience thing, does Dabo Sweeney survive now in this day and age? He went 9-5, and 6-7, and seven, like his first no. two years, and then 10-4. and four. Like... Do they let him stick around to build this into what it is? Because then he goes eleven and two, ten and eleven and two, well, ten and three. Maybe I, I mean Matt Luke's going to get to stick around if he goes five and seven. So yeah, I think I think he probably does. But it's it's a lot tighter nowadays than it was back then. In twenty ten, Mitt, Clemson lost the Meineke Card Care Bowl. Good times. <laughs> so, <laughs> um. Anyway, um, a couple more thoughts out on Missouri after Dewey. I think he deserves props for doing a pretty good job and kind of hitting his strides. Almost like some things take time. Um, I'm trying to think the last thing he had. Mid, uh, defensively, Missouri, very good. Very veteran defense, veteran front seven. Is there a window for Ole Miss to have more success than maybe they would have with Kale Garrett out and them kind of being the first game adjusting to life after him? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're going to see. Uh, he's their leading tackler for a reason. So, uh, yeah, I think that's certainly fair. Yeah, you don't really think bruising defense when you think of Kentucky. Um, so, so, 
I like. I mean, you don't think of, when you think of Missouri, excuse me, you don't think of kind of bruising defense at all. Yeah, no. I mean, that you think kind of a prolific offense, but this is a top five defense in the country statistically right now. Yeah. So, um, kind of transitioning elsewhere. Uh, I want to mention the podcast is brought to you by LBs. Uh, Greg's got the meats. Go see him at University Avenue across from Kroger. It is grilling season. The weather is a lot cooler outside. I don't know if this is the false fall stuff that Hey Dad talks about where it gets cool for a week and then hot as hell again for it really gets cool. But it feels like <laughs> fall outside. It is grilling weather. Go see Greg at uh, LB's. They've got steaks, seafood, sausages, custom cut stuff. Kind of get some jalapeno poppers, maybe some mushrooms as a side. They got all kinds of good meat. Anything you would want to put on the grill, Greg's got it for you. He is a meat connoisseur. They'll do custom cuts for you. They've got all kinds of stuff. Greg has the meat, so go to LB's and go see him. Um, Transitioning to... Let's get into some baseball because, man, what an October we've had already. Three of the four DS series are going five. going five. That's about all you can ask for. And really, it was interesting. The one that didn't go five, or the one that was a sweep, I might have classified as the least likely to go a sweep. Because I would have <laughs> just know. figured I there's I didn't think there was a chance of a sweep in uh, Washington, L.A. You did? I did not. I didn't, I didn't think there was a chance there. No, no, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying the one that was a sweep was probably the one I thought maybe was the least likely. Oh, you're saying that you thought that was the least likely. I guess maybe not the least likely, so maybe second least. But, like, point being, I would have picked a sweep in maybe any of the other three series just because the Dodgers are so good. Because I just figured there'd be one game where Minnesota would do what they do and hit six home runs, and it's like, okay, get to game four. I mean, that's certainly fair. Um, but I, it's, it's crazy. I did not think there was a world where, where Houston was going to have to go back to Houston uh, when Verlander took the ball last night on short rest. I thought that thing was over it. Lo and behold, the Rays got to him. Yeah, so I never I never gave like, – we, we discussed it some on the radio show yesterday, and – uh, Richard was like, yeah, him versus Justin Verlander. What do you got? And I was like, uh, you know, Godspeed to the Rays. But they played it. In, they played a really, really good baseball game last night. They were really good in the field. They got up a couple runs early and just kind of held on. I'll tell you what, man. I'm not necessarily saying they're going to win against uh, in that game five. But they've got they've got Glasnow going, and they've got Morton and Snell off it, again the bullpen ready to roll. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, they're set up as well as you can possibly be set up. Yeah, they are. And the, the people were questioning the decision to go to go with Verlander on short rest. I didn't necessarily oh, hate that decision because I think you're trying to challenge them to beat Verlander well, Cole. Who was it, Game 3? Uh, uh, Grinky uh, Verlander Cole. Grinky. Well, I mean, look, you're going to have to throw Verlander Cole in Game 5, so like, why not throw both of them? And Cole's on full rest. Yeah, right. So, I uh, I'm fascinated by that, and I'm really fascinated. Like, I mean, I, I'm I'm excited for all three game fives because playoff baseball is the best. But this Washington, uh, get, this Washington LA game with Bueller and Strasburg, that could get awesome. I, I'm making a a bold prediction. If Los Angeles wins tonight, they're going to win the World Series. I would agree with that. We've said that kind of all along. Their best chance to lose was to a Washington team like this in five. And why? Because you're getting Strasburg after you get Scherzer in a game five. Now, I think L.A. wins tonight. I do. I think they can scratch one or two off of Strasburg. 
I think 22 is going to come in out of the bullpen. Kenley Jansen's ready for two innings. He hasn't thrown but one inning, and it was a meaningless inning. I think Los Angeles wins tonight. But good God, all the pressure in the world is on them. Yeah, it is. What do you make of it? I, I said on radio yesterday, I don't know how the Braves won. I, I, I'm a little skeptical they're going to beat Flaherty twice. But yeah. I feel like I the Braves are. are. I, yes, I'd say. Well, so I, I said this in the absence of all logic. Doesn't this feel like a game that St. Louis kind of always wins? Like they're going to play some terrible game, and you're going to look up at the end and be like, "How did St. Louis win that?" And the Braves are going to let it slip. That's what I get I, the feeling. I remember. I can't remember who tweeted it, but it was a very good point. Uh, SunTrust Stadium is going to be a lot like Swayze is in, a, in an elimination game. That thing's going to be tight as hell. And if, God forbid, if St. Louis goes and scores in the first inning, puts up three runs or something, the game's over. Because I don't think Atlanta can fall behind in this game and come back and win. Yeah, no, I I would agree. So this is going to be fascinating. You got that at 4 o'clock. You've got Nats-Dodgers at 7.30. And then you've got uh, Rays-Astros at 6 on Thursday night. So. I guess we'll get into the LBs part one of the LBs pick'em. It sounds like I had a pretty good week last week. Wait, wait. Do you, do you wanna you wanna add some baseball into it? Yeah, no, we can do that for sure. That's why I, that, okay. uh, I was gonna add some into it as well. So, All right. but we'll go just game winners. Like, I don't, do you really want to do run line in baseball? No, no, God, no, no, not in baseball. Okay, so, um, so LBs pick'em. Uh, like I said, Greg's got the meets. Go see him off at. Uh, off of University Avenue, across from Kroger. I always say across University Avenue because I can't talk, um, which is amazing considering I've had a podcast for six months. But go see Greg. This is the LB's Pick'em. We probably need to get Greg on soon to participate in this Pick'em and talk about meat some. We maybe need to set that up for Friday. Can you make that happen? I will. I will. I can most certainly try to make that happen. Okay, so we'll get Greg on. We'll get him to talk about meats. Maybe we'll get him to start comparing SEC teams to meat cuts. I don't know something. There weird. you go. That, that's a good. That, that that's a good segment. Yeah. So I uh, I think that could be interesting. So LB's pick them. Sounds like I had a pretty good week in the NFL last week. You did. You did. I I had a mediocre week. You made up some real ground last week. Yeah. So what? I'm six back. Five back because uh, you took the Browns and I took the or I took the Browns and you took the Forty ers Okay, so you're five back. Yeah. Um. Nice. Okay, so we got plenty and of time. Speaking of which, we've had five NFL Monday night games in a row by twenty points. Like at some point, that's got to stop. Yeah, and if you want to get into that, some. Um, Baker Mayfield. Like, I've, I, there's there's one side of this argument where I think I think one. Every other second-year quarterback is getting way more of a pass than Mayfield is because they have less talent around them, and this team that Mayfield's quarterbacking is prepared to launch. But some of that become, comes with because he was un, he was taken as number one pick. But man, they they're not a good team. They don't look prepared at all to kind of actually be a contending team. And you kind of like the more and more you look at it, it makes sense. It's like one, they're wildly undisciplined. Two, their head coach was the running backs coach at this time last year. Maybe not exactly at this time. I don't remember when What's-His-Face got fired and he got promoted. I don't remember. But you get my point. Right. They're just – Mayfield is – one, his one thing last year was like, yeah, he's not the perfect quarterback, but, man, that guy could hit a dime cut. That guy could hit a quarter if he threw it up in midair with the football. Now he's not accurate, and that's kind of his one calling card and it's not happening. Yeah. No, I mean – He's not even in the top five of young quarterbacks I take if I'm, you know, having a fantasy draft at this point. Like if I'm getting to pick my quarterback, like seriously, it's, it's Mahomes, Watson, Goff, Dak, 
probably went um, if, if you're talking about guys that are young in the league. Just stick with that draft class. I would take Darnold and Allen over him at this point. Really? Wow. Yeah. But dude, I, you put if you put you can't tell me they wouldn't have had better results through five weeks with the way Baker's played if Josh Allen and Sam Darnold were quarterbacking that team. I'm I'm not gonna I, you know I'm not gonna disagree. I don't I don't necessarily believe in either of those guys either though. Oh, I think Darnold's going to be a good NFL quarterback. I think he showed enough. Oh, really? Okay. I think he showed enough last year with some bad talent around him. And part of it, and I'm not big into like, oh, look what he does off the field, guy. But Baker Mayfield pisses every defense off he plays. Look at the Richard Sherman thing. They were just looking at excuses to stick his. I'm not going to say that. Yeah, even even though Sherman lied. I mean, you. you it's probably a terrible idea to piss off Nick Bosa. I'm just saying. But like. <laughs> They play with less like like the Browns have an increased target on their back because of Mayfield, and you don't get that with Allen or Rose. I mean, excuse me, Allen or Darnold. They kind of conduct themselves like more professionals. So like, yeah, that, that's certainly true. I don't know. Anyway, that's enough Brown talk. Let's get into the LVs pick them. Um, I guess let's just start with baseball because two of them are today. Who do you got, yeah. Cardinals or Braves? Uh, Cardinals. For the sake of my friends that are Braves fans around me, I hope I, I'm wrong. Yeah, no, I'm gonna go Braves. Only because of that. It, there's really no logic in it. I am skeptical of them beating Flaherty twice, but they are at home. And just for the sake of everyone's sanity, I'm going to go Braves. So you can thank me for having world, uh, for achieving world peace, or at least. Let, let me make this very clear. I hope I am wrong. Yeah, no. for the love of God. <laughs> me too. Um, and, uh, Dodgers take next. LA in the next game. So will I, but I really want to pick. Actually, you know what? Washington. Screw it. What do I care? I'm going Washington. <laughs> okay. Raise uh, Astros. Houston or Tampa Bay? Tampa. I'm going all upsets. Let's do it. You're going to take Tampa? Yeah, just because I'm going to be rooting for both of those things. Because it cra- I Tampa, I'm... I'm not huge like small market guy and like general, but Tampa is a fascinating story to me, and I would love to see them get to the World Series. I'm going to say Houston, and I'm not going to care if I get it wrong. I'm going to root for Tampa Bay. Yeah, see, I went the opposite way. I'm just going to do what I'm, I'm picking, what I'm rooting for. Anyway, <laughs> football. Uh, what's the Thursday night game? Is like Pat's Giants or Pat? Yeah, yeah, Pat's Giants. Uh, the Giants are catching seventeen, 17 and a half. So this one, I've, I the, the the Google search that I got pulled it up at seventeen and a half. So we'll go off that. All right, I'm thinking the Giants. If I'm getting seventeen and a half, Jesus. Yeah, whatever. I actually go Giants too. That's a lot of points. Um, there ain't college football on Thursday. Yeah, we can pick one game. Here we go. Uh, NC State minus four and a half hosting Syracuse. Ooh, I'm gonna take the Wolfpack. Yeah, I think Syracuse is not good, but I don't know NC. NC State lost Florida State kind of convincingly. Yeah, I know. I'll go Syracuse. Okay. All right. The so other there's, game there's that night. One of our Texas State, UL Monroe. <laughs> We're going to pick that? Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm taking Texas State. I'm going to take my three and a half points. UL Monroe, Warhawks. All right. All there's right. a Wednesday Fight night game. Three. Yeah, there is. There's a game tonight. Should we add that in there just for good measure? Screw it. ULL. Why, why Apple, not? Appalachian State. Uh, I don't know. ULL. Yeah, I'm thinking ULL, too. Perfect. Yeah, so. <laughs> um, so that was part one of the LB's Pick'em. We'll get into the meat of the LB's Pick'em on 
Friday with some college and NFL stuff. Uh, do you have anything else? I don't think we missed anything. No, no, that's about it. it, it it's kind of a boring week until Missouri and Ole Miss kick off on Saturday. Yep, so one more time, reminds you to go see Greg at LB's. He's a, uh, across from Kroger University Avenue. Go get some stuff to throw in the grill to watch this Sun Belt matchup the next two nights between UL Monroe and whoever they're playing already forgot, and then ULL and Appalachian State. So grilling season, football season, kind of synonymous together. Go see Greg. They've got all kinds of stuff. LB's has the meats. Um, Friday, well, Mailbag Friday, so send me your questions. Um, tweet me, text me. Email me. I was talking to Richard. Richard said we were some po- a podcast listener DM'd us, and we were just talking about the stuff that was going on. And then Richard knew him personally, so he's kind of explaining me to who he was. I was like, would love to meet the guy because I would take a bullet for the podcast listeners, but it would be in the foot. So that's kind of the mantra I'm going with. Not not in the knee, in the foot. Yeah, in the foot. So thanks, guys, for listening. I would take a bullet for you if it was in my foot. Um. Anyway, like and subscribe to the podcast. Um. I say like and subscribe. Rate and review it. If you give me five stars, you can say whatever you want in the comments. Uh, odds are if you leave a funny review, I'll probably read it on the air as long as it's not too insulting. But um, <laughs> we'll be back at it on Friday. So for Colin Brister, I am Brian Scott Rippey. This podcast brought to you by LBs. We'll be back at it on Friday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.